so um, I just got a few things before we even go anywhere. Some things that, um, that I like to just remind all of us of is if you've been raised in a church family. How many, how many were like me raised in church from the time you were young? Raise your hand. How many, uh, you didn't know God and you just came to the Lord at some point after you grew up, whatever that means, raise your hand. Uh, how, how many would say uh, the church world's kind of new to you? Raise your hand. So, you know, we're all on different pages. So, you know, uh, what happens is in life, you bring the page of life that you are accustomed to with you into whatever thing you're involved in. You know, when you get married, guess what you're thinking about? What mom and daddy did. And, you know, for me, I uh, want to know, this is what I think my, why I think my dad is so cool. My dad died seven years ago, but he left something in me when I was thinking, when I, when I got older and I started thinking about, well, you know, one day I'm going to date, I wondered how to treat a woman while I watched how he treated my mama. Because he loved my mama, opened the door for her, he sang songs to her, was always sweet to her, always kind to her. Would never, ever let my brothers and I say anything I got stories, y'all, that I can't even tell. Woo-hoo! Uh, he got on me and my brothers if we ever did anything negative towards mama. So he taught us how to treat women, right? And then when I thought about getting married, see, my page of marriage, I got that from home. And, and my dad, my dad would sing love songs to my mother. And, and you know, it just embarrassed us. And I said, Lord, Lord, Jesus, y'all be quiet. And I was like, even when they were older, I mean, you know, my goodness, we said, y'all, y'all, we, we going to leave, so y'all be by yourself. I mean, it was just crazy. But we learn how to treat, I learned how to treat, you know what I'm saying? So with every area of life, church life is the same way, whatever, whatever experiences you had at church when you were young. And I, again, my young, I, I can remember wearing diapers to church, seriously, and going three times a week and every night if we had quote unquote revivals, right? Yeah, it's weird, weird thought, right? But so, so my idea of church uh, was a certain way. And then, you know, when I really came to the Lord and really, and really gave my life to Jesus, and, and I, I didn't go to that kind of church. It was a Southern Baptist church, and then I got filled with the Holy Spirit, age 18 almost, and, and things were just different. So I had to relearn. So here, we do things a diff- different way, and, and there's rhyme and reason to what and why we do. It may not be the way you did things in wherever you've been to church, whatever. So um, just some values. Let me just share real quickly some values I have. I say this all the time. Um, and particularly, I don't do announcements anymore. I don't take up the offering on Sundays anymore. Somebody else does it. How many think that's a good idea? I like to, you know, let other people do things I used to do. Anyway, uh, when I did do it, I made this uh, comment frequently, life is a journey, not a destination. How many understand that? Life is a journey. That means you're always going towards something, and you never really arrive. If you're on a journey, you know, you may think there's a destination. Well, the destination for our journey is heaven. And, and, so, and so we're taking steps. So the idea that I have when I say that life is a journey, not a destination, I'm, I'm moving forward spiritually. And there should never be a time in my life that I get stuck somewhere. And I stop moving, stop taking steps, stop changing. The way it is in American culture, we just got, got it all messed up. You know, we get to a certain age and we retire. I don't even know what that means. Now, we have retirees here. I'm glad you retire. I don't plan on retiring. I may not be senior pastor all the time, but I will always be doing something for God until I take my last breath and go home to be with Jesus because that's my call. How many hear me? So, so, so the idea is don't ever stop aggressing and moving forward and, and doing better spiritually. So, so you always ask yourself a question, what's my next step? What am I doing? What's God doing in me? If you're lethargic and lazy, 
you're going to have some problems in the future. And that's why my job as a pastor, one of them is to keep us all kind of stirred up. Hey, we're not done yet. Let's keep going that way. So um, our mission statement here, uh, helping people become who God created them to be. I was literally riding my bike on the Noose River Trail. I do that for exercise. And that thing dropped in my heart years ago and uh, it's about four or five, four years ago now. And that's just been with me ever since helping people. That's what we do. We help people become who God created them to be. Well, who did God create us to be? He created us to know Him through the new birth. He created us to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit and get turned on to the power of God. He created us to, to rule and reign with Christ. He, he created us to be seated with Jesus in heavenly places. He created us to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He created us to walk in the love of God, to have the peace of God on us, and to be peacemakers everywhere. Where we go yes or no and i can keep on and on and on so helping people become who god created them to be that's 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 a portion of what i just said is a portion of that we do that four ways and so every time and i've got a a, a, a whiteboard in my office and it sits right beside my desk and i got a little stick man that i can't draw well that uh is you know i doodled on it and, and every time I, that little stick man reminds me of you and, and every one of you is symbolic in that stick man. That stick man reminds me that I'm doing what I do because I want every individual to grow and be taking steps and moving forward in Jesus. So, so with every individual, I got four goals in my heart. I promise every day I think about it. I pray this direction. I, I want you to do four things. You'll find this Old Testament and new in God dealing with his people. Uh, I want you to know God. Everybody say, know God. Well, how do you do that? First of all, by being born again. Once you're born again, get filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, come and talk to any of us, our staff team or any of us. We can help you go that direction. It's an amazing, amazing experience. We want you to know God. First of all, in the new birth, because that's a heart change and, and the sin nature's removed and it, and it turns us on to heaven and spiritual reality and it takes the fog, spiritual fogginess away and, and places in us God's life and nature. That's the new birth. And then once you're born again, God's desire is that we receive the milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, I'm a pastor slash teacher, one of the ministry offices I stand in as office of a teacher. I didn't ask for it just one day. I, this stuff just started bubbling out of me like it does now. And, and I said, what in the world? Who, who is that? That's not me. I'm a shy introvert that doesn't make, make eye contact with people. And that gift came upon my life many years ago. So I teach. So the teaching ministry is so that we can grow. So knowing God means being born again and then getting in the word and getting our minds renewed so we can grow. How many hear me? So I tell people, I've been saying this for years. If you'll come here, if, if you'll give us minimum two years, I'd love for you to stay all your life. Two years, you'll be a train. If you'll come to our services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, come to the prayer meetings, get involved, you'll be a transformed person. Because what happens as you go a little bit at a time, God will start messing with the areas of your life that are just a little bit out of sync with his kingdom. And, and without a show of hands, I pr could probably say that all of us, including me, got some things that are a little bit out of sync with the kingdom. Would you say? And they get in sync the more you get your mind renewed. So knowing God, that's a big process. That's a lifelong process. It's a never-ending process. So I want every person to know God. Secondly, find freedom. Everybody say, find freedom. Now, find freedom, what we mean by that, you know, the, the atmosphere for growing spiritually. And as you grow spiritually, you become less encumbered with stuff that bothers you in life. Does anybody besides me have things that have bothered you in life? You've got mental things, mental challenges, emotional challenges, relational challenges, communication challenges. Uh, you've got physical challenges that, 
you, maybe you've never told anybody about. Well, all of those things God wants to work on, and, and he wants us to find freedom in areas that we're not free in. And, and so the, 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 um, the atmosphere of growing and becoming free is relating to other people. Now, maybe that's a foreign idea to you, but it's not foreign to God. He knew if, if he could get us in the context of relating to each other and, that, and start talking to one another and then working out the dynamics we find in the Bible of how to relate to people, uh, then you know what? He knows that it'll help us grow. And one of the ways that God helps us to grow is to get us around people that aren't like us. So how about, let's look around, just look all around, just look all around, look at all these people in here, got a good crowd tonight, now all these people you see, all these people are are unlike you in lots of ways, would you agree? And so, you know, we are unlike each other uh, ethnically, we've got 20 different nations represented in our church, that's a dynamic, and then we've got all kinds of age distinctions in our church, and then we've got people that are that have moved from different areas of the U. So we all got all kinds of differences that way. But then just how we do life, our personalities, and and just how we relate to other, we're so different. And see, God's plan is that you learn how to love people that aren't like you. And the best way to do that is in the context of relating closely to somebody. Yes or no? And so sometimes God will on purpose put you with somebody that is not like you that you'd really rather not be around. And, and it may be in the context of local church. Why does he do that? To help you stretch yourself, to help us grow. How many think that makes sense? So finding freedom really is in relationships. We have small groups here. And our heart goal is we have seasonal small groups. We have three seasons a year. And our heart is you get involved in our small groups. Small groups help our church stay small as, as more people come. And that's our heart. But small group is a place where you can relate to other people one-on-one. Iron sharpens iron. You're talking with them. They're talking to you. You're finding out about them. They're finding out about you. The, the custom that has become nah, not somewhat frequent in America is go to a big church and be anonymous. Be a, just be anonymous in a big crowd. And I think one of the reasons large churches are popular is you can go in there and be anonymous. You don't have to say anything to anybody. Clap a little bit, praise a little bit, give a little bit, listen a little bit, go home. Say hi to somebody, say hi to the greeter, say hi to this person, get you a cup of coffee. Bye. See you all later. See you next week. Bye. Well, if you do that, you're not going to grow because you're still by yourself. How many get it? So if all I do is come on Sunday morning, I'm missing something, and that is the fellowship. So my heart is I want everybody to know God, then find freedom that is relate to others because the atmosphere of me personally growing is being able to relate and learning to relate to other people. So here's the deal. When I mess up, I need to fess up to God. I confess my sins to God, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us, 1 John 1, 9. But James five sixteen says, confess your faults. To one another. So in the context of relating to others, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with this. Or or would y'all, you know, help me with this? What about this? I I just want y'all to pray for me. I'm dealing with this or this or this. I say as you get to talk to people and know people, you got to have somebody to pour your heart out to. Yes or no? What better context than a a group of friends who have each other's back? We're going the same direction. We believe the same things. And and you know, we're, we're, we're seeking God and we're moving forward, taking steps. What better place to relate than small groups? Let me encourage, I can't encourage you enough. We've got small groups coming up soon. When they start, Cameron? September what? That's my anniversary. Come on. So stand up. Camp Cameron's overseeing our small groups. How about give him a shout? Come on now. 
So we're excited. So get involved. Thirdly, discover purpose. Now we have what we call growth track. It meets monthly. We're about to make some big changes with that. And we'll talk about that later. But get involved in our growth track. It's a series of four lessons where and you discover things about our church, discover things about how to have a lifelong walk with God. And then you discover things about yourself. We actually give a um, personality test, very short, very simple, but accurate. And then a, a spiritual gifts test. And it's all multiple choice. There are no wrong answers. There are just answers. If you answer it from your heart and honestly, then these tests will tag the, the the desires that you have inside that God placed in you to help others. And that shows us where you probably would fit best in, in, in helping someone else on what we call our dream team, our volunteer force here. And, and you can get plugged in and be a blessing to someone else. And, uh, and then your per, the personality test just shows you what you're good at, what you're not good at, where you fit best. Some people are better, are better behind the scenes, not relating to everybody constantly shaking hands of this, but rather in a, in a position where they're making something happen, a more technical thing. Others are gregarious, outgoing. They've met, never met a stranger. They're the ones that like to shake hands and do things in the parking lot. Maybe they're ushers or whatever, but, but, uh, so anyway, we, we, uh, we use you according to your personality. And so, the discover purpose, know God, find freedom, discover purpose. And then the last thing in my heart, when I see every one of you, I want you to make a difference in your community. Here's what I know. If I take my eyes off me and I say it all the time, if I take my eyes off of me, if I keep my eyes on me, I'm going to get discouraged. And you too, right? Because y'all, you see is your flaws. And when God sees us, he sees a diamond in the rough. Yes or no? He sees the end from the beginning, Right? And that's the way we're supposed to see each other. But so you don't get discouraged about yourself when you first come to the Lord. It's like, man, jeez, how could I ever be like the past? How could I ever grow? How could I ever be like the saintly person? Well, we grow a little bit at a time. And the way you change is take your eyes off of you. Put your eyes on others by serving them. Now, I had no idea God set me up. You know, I was an absolute ridiculous introvert. 18 years old almost when I came to the Lord. And, and God put me in places where I was always asked to help someone else do something or do something for someone else. And that just kept happening, happening, happening. And here I am today. But my life was transformed by me taking my eyes off me. And Job, the book of Job, for all 42 chapters, Job 42.10, to me summarizes the book of Job. Job lost everything he had. And um, Job 42.10 says... And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. That is, when he stopped, stopped bellyaching about him, his problems, and looked at all that he had lost, his family, his cattle, his lands, his health, his everything, his marriage, and put his eyes back on God, put him, his eyes on others, God turned things around. And you'll find that in your own life. If I focus on me, I can get discouraged. I focus on God, I'm encouraged. Focus on others, I change. Because God works in me. You reap what you sow. If you sow blessing and sow life, sow help, sow aid to others, how many know you'll reap that? So that's just kind of rhyme and reason of how we do what we do here. So we want everybody to know life is a journey, not a destination. We want to help you become who God created you to be. I want you to know God, find freedom, get involved in a small group, discover purpose, make a difference. Help us reach this community. Local churches to me are like lighthouses. We're like an oasis in a barren desert. And right now, even more than ever, how many hear me? This is the one place that this divided country can be unified. Yes or no? 
right here in a local church. And we can show our culture how to do it right, right? And we don't have to bicker and quarrel and fuss and fume and, you know, say things that don't need to be said. We love each other, right? So, hey, this is a great place. So, uh, my heart for you as a pastor is, um, you know, all of us, whether you like it or not, we all of us have a destination, heaven, if you're born again. And when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to, you know, maybe take his index things that come in. Uh, stand right there. And you stand right in front of him. And then he just looks at you and he sees clear through you. And then we're going to be rewarded and he's going to talk to us about what we did with our Christian life after salvation. Our sins before we were saved, they're done. They're expunged. They don't even exist. And the confess when we confess our sins, he forgets them. Is that good news? So this is not about sin. It's about what I did to obey God with my energies, my talents, and my skills. And everybody, my heart for every person in this church is to stand before Jesus one day and hear, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. <laughs> See back here? <laughs> it's, it's the glory of God. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Come on. How many want to hear that? Well, you need to ask yourself a question. Am I living in a way right now that I'm taking steps? I'm not bogged down. I'm moving forward. I've got my eyes on others. I'm involved in helping someone else. Or am I just going through the religious motions? Well, I know I need to come to church. That's what Christians do. No, you do more than that. Get involved. Because when you get involved, you change. And the whole goal is one day, one day I'm going to stand before Jesus. Now, for me, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up there. I think I mentioned it here recently. I'm going to get up there, and, and when he says, Mitch, I'm going to stand. And if he lets me, I'm going to drop right to my knees. Pooh. And he's going to have to say, get up and look at me. I say, and, <laughs> and I want to hear, a boy. Good boy. Thank you. How many want to hear that? Oh, man. I want you to hear that. So if you need to make adjustments to hear that, start making them now because I don't think we've got a lot of time left. How many hear what I'm saying? He may be coming sooner than we think. So, so ask yourself again, what's my next step? What's, what's the next thing? Do you need to be water baptized? You need to start being more faithful, just coming and getting in the Word? Uh, do you need to be involved in a small group? you need to come to our growth track? you need to come and get involved? Can you help us reach our... Can, what can you do? What can you do that you're not doing now? What is your next step? What is, God, what is God speaking to you? How many hear that? Well, that was all free. I just had that on my heart. I thought I would, I would share. So I, I do want to share this. I, think, uh, I do think that uh, Jesus' coming is sooner than maybe uh, a lot of people realize. And uh, it seems like he may be coming sooner, sooner rather than later. And the world seems to be changing rapidly in some really unusual, uncanny ways. Everything seems to be erratic right now. And I don't think I'm misstating that. Everybody feels a sense of angst. Uh, America's changed in just the last few years in ways I, that are unbelievable. And then if you're my age, it's like you don't even know what to say. It just kind of almost takes your breath. Uh, uh, but it is. And... Um, and so I think we have challenges ahead of us, and, and I'm, I've mentioned this uh, when I started this series, I'm on on Sunday mornings, uh, that uh, I just feel just there's some kind of something going on, and, and, and God won't tell me what it is, but I just know there's something ahead in the future that we need to get ready for. And, and so in my heart, here's what I feel. The, the basic way you get ready is to know God well, because the number one commodity that everybody's going to need in our future is faith. 
F-A-I-T-H. And that is the ability to trust God when things don't look right. Huh? And see through the fog and see through the smoke, so to speak, and see the other side and know you're going to be okay. How many hear me? So uh, you can translate that any way you want to, uh, but I translate it into uh, having a, a, a really personal relationship with Jesus. Where I'm close to him, there's nothing between me and him. There's not disobedience in my life that would keep keep him kind of fo- foggy and obscure to me, but I'm, I'm moving towards him. You want to be working on that now. I can't tell you how important it is. I've had the unfortunate experience of being in ministry since 1981, and many times uh, people will call me when a crisis comes, and I think that's a good thing to do. But, but there's some people sometimes with varying kinds of crises. I've gone to see them. Sometimes I've went to see people in the hospital. Sometimes I've gone to people's homes. Sometimes people have met me in my office. Other times people have met me at neutral locations, and here they are in a, I don't know what other thing to call it, other than a quagmire. It's something that they're bogged down in and can't get out of. And then as I talk to them, here's what I find out. And I don't ever say anything. But you know what I found out? This person isn't ready for this. You hear what I'm saying? Now, that's a, for me as a pastor, that's a sad thing. But I've met a lot of people over the years. Crisis comes. They didn't prepare well for the crisis. And they like to whip their backside. You get it? So, so, so crisis is coming. Get ready. And, and you get ready by preparing yourself. By, by preparing to walk with God strong. How many get it? A lot of cultural pulls right now. So uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's what I got to say. Anybody, anybody got any questions or anything? What you got? Hey, we got, uh, he's got a microphone right there you can speak into. Say hi, Mira. It's not working yet. There we go. Okay, we've got two questions that were sent in to us. Um, this first one, Adam and Eve, their marriage was made for each other by God. And if marriage was set in the beginning as one man, one woman covenant, then why throughout the Old Testament was having multiple wives, concubines, okay? Was it just socially acceptable or is it said somewhere um, in Scripture where Jesus abolished this? So, It's obvious in the New Testament particularly the New Testament, that God has one man and one woman in marriage and his best plan is for life. Yes or no? That's the will of God. So figure this out. And it's a little strange to think about, but okay, so you got Adam, Eve, and then you got Cain and Abel, and then they started having other babies. When I was a little boy, I was trying to figure out, okay, God created Adam, all right, and then God took the woman out of his body and then sewed him back up. And then he looked up at her and said, wow, and then they got married. And I'm just thinking with my little, my little kid brain, it's like, okay, they got married, and then, and then they had babies, so they had boys, you know, Cain and Abel, and then where'd all these little girls come from? <laughs> so here's what I thought. thought well, maybe, you know, maybe God, uh, maybe God just kind of went, and made, made a girl, and, and made a boy, you know, and, and you know, like, like you did Adam. Because how is he going to get enough people for all these people to get married? Well, listen to this. So Adam and Eve's sons and daughters married each other. Wrap your head around that. That's weird. Yeah? Right? Had to. There was no other choice. There were no other humans around. God didn't make anybody else. He just made Adam and Eve. And all of us come from them, right? 
So you got slowly growing human race. And so brothers and sisters to start with half had to marry. And yeah, you go read the Old Testament, and you know, you got some of these dudes got quite a few wives. And so it's not that God wanted that to happen. If you go research anybody in the Bible that had more in the Old Testament, had more than one wife, they had problems in the family. Because you can't have two women in the same house and then you having babies without having some huge challenges. Would you agree? Somebody's going to feel slighted somewhere. So, you know, I'm just saying, go read it, man. They got, they were killing each other, doing all kinds of crazy things. They had family in strife, family, just family squabbles galore. And then, you know, figure out, here's old King Solomon. That dude had... He had an addiction galore. He got 700 wives and then 300 slave women on the side. Ain't something wrong with that. He had a sexual addiction, my friends. And, uh, you know, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And that's why he said, life is vanity and vexation of spirit. So you got to understand, for a period of time, God kind of winked at all that, but eventually, the best is God created. In fact, he said it to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He didn't say a man's, it's okay for a man to marry a man. He didn't say it's okay for a woman to fall in love with a woman. He said it's cogent and kosher and I've placed in your DNA a desire for the opposite sex. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. That means God likes for husbands and wives to have lots of sex and lots of babies. I used to tell my, I used to tell my, I used to tell my kids that and they turned every shade but white. I promise. Okay, next subject, Dad. What's let's go on? What else? What else? What else you got? Say, Mama, and I have lots of sex. Shut up, shut up. Let's do something else. So I mean, you know, but that's just God's plan. So, you know, anyway, New Testament era, one man, one woman. And, you know, divorce is a is a terrible problem. No fault divorce is a big problem in American culture, but it's here and and a lot of you are divorced and remarried, some several times. And you know what? God just loves you where you're at right now. How many hear that? And you need to let your past go. And walk with God where you're at today. How many hear me? And you know, Susan and I will be celebrating 40 years next month. I'm excited about it. So anyway. What was the next part of that? Okay, so um, we give a shout out to Samantha Tedesco. She's one of our members online. Sam, hey, Samantha. We love you. We miss you. Hey, Samantha. She can't physically be here, but she's with us watching online. So Samantha has submitted this question and said, When the trumpet sounds, when Jesus comes back, Will all hear or just believers? That's a good question. That's a good question. Anybody got an answer for that one? I know I'm going to hear it. Are you? Well, you know, the truth is both in the book of Daniel and, and I think in Matthew. And when Jesus said he's come, every eye will see him. And in Revelation 1, and, and him whom they pierced. They will see. So it could be that every eye sees Jesus. So could it be that every ear hears that trumpet? Could be. Hang out. I think maybe we'll find out. Let's think. Next. Can you give us some practical tips so that we're not running around crazy 
If this is the season of the Lord's return, what are some practical things we can do as believers to prepare ourselves? Hmm. Well, so here's um, um, opening up my Bible to Luke 21, 25, where Jesus talked about his second coming. It says there will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars upon the earth. There will be distress. This is amplified. Distress, trouble, anguish of nations in bewilderment and perplexity. Without resources, left wanting, embarrassed, in doubt, not knowing which way to turn. As the roaring, the echo of the tossing of the sea. Men swooning away and expiring with fear and dread and apprehension and expectation of the things that are coming on the world. For the very powers of the heavens will be shaken and caused to totter. And then you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. So he's talking about a tumultuous time before he comes back. And I don't have time to develop the thought, but I have taught on this, particularly on Wednesday night. There is um, what the Bible terms, this term is used multiple times, both Old and New Testament. The term is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a day of the judgment of God against his enemies against Satan and all of his emissaries, where literally the wrath of God is poured out on the sinfulness and rebellion on earth, beginning with Satan, the fallen angels, the demon spirits that work with them, and then the human personalities that refuse to obey God, and they have obeyed God's arch enemy, Satan. So the wrath of God will be poured out, and that, the wrath of God is where nature turns against humanity on earth. This happens I believe, and I have scripture I believe can prove it, after the church leaves earth, the day of the Lord then begins, and it begins in a sudden way. Nobody's looking for it. Jesus said it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Nobody had seen rain prior to God shutting the door of the ark. And then people, and then Noah's been spent, spending over 100 years building this big boat on dry land in a desert place. I think he's a nuthead, and they're laughing at him, joking until the raindrops come, and then everybody wants to get on the ark. You get it? So, you know, we're kind of living in that kind So, So I'm just saying that the wrath of God is coming, and change is coming. It's going to come after the rapture of the church, and people uh, on the earth will not be ready or prepared. So um, anyway, thank God we're not appointed under wrath but to receive uh, forgiveness and mercy and grace by the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you glad? So having said that, there's a period of time between now and sometime before Jesus comes back when the earth will begin to make changes. And I think we're in the process perhaps of that to some degree now. We're going to have more erratic weather patterns than we ever have. Jesus said there would be more earthquakes. Jesus mentioned famines. Uh, Revelation 6 mentions the cost of food will increase exponentially. And that's probably and obviously due to uh, weather pattern changes, perhaps also war. So we got a lot of things coming up on the earth we just need to be ready for. So having said all that, practically speaking, what can you do to prepare? So so let me tell you what, I, I, this is what I'm doing now. Um, just be prepared for any kind of natural disaster, whether it's a hurricane or a tornado or or some big storms or whatever, or anything else that may come that, that may cut normal life for a couple of weeks, like when hurricanes come here, electricity's off, you know, you know, trucks can't get to the grocery store, so any grocery store only has a three-day or less supply of food. So, so to live, how I many know you got to have water? And, and you need something to eat, and you need to feed your kids. 
So be smart. So for me, I've said this for years. I heard David Wilkerson say this years ago, and this is a dozen years ago, and I started doing it. He said, always have your supply of food at home, you know, um, and, and just be ready for anything. And that way, if the power's off for a week, two weeks, you know, you got some food and you got to, don't have to go scramble and get your milk and your bread like we do in North Carolina. You know, you don't have to run to the grocery store and get it. You got some at home, right? And then find a way to have potable or drinkable water. So, uh, so for me, you know, I've got food at home. In fact, I just got a shipment today. And uh, yeah, freeze dry. It lasts 25 years. Uh, when I went to Ethiopia, I couldn't eat the food. I don't even have time to tell you the story except to say I had to take my own food. And I took freeze dried food and ate like a king. And just mix water with it, heat it up, you can eat. So I've done that because I don't know what's coming up, but I'm going to feed me and my family. And you can come over and have dinner with me. So Mitch, I don't have anything to eat. Well, come over, i got something for you. Is that okay? So, so be wise and be smart. I've got a way to have potable water. I've got some water purifiers. not very expensive. You can find it anywhere. Come and ask me, I'll tell you. And I just, you know, be prepared and be ready for any any eventuality and just so you'll be safe and your family is safe be safe more than that trust god to direct your steps because the holy spirit knows the future and knows how to help you be ready how many hear me so anyway don't want to alarm anybody but that's what i do i pray i seek god and you know i'm just always living ready go ahead any other question anybody got anything i've got two actually i have two here that somebody sent me via email everybody good all right so here's one person said, help me understand John 10, 31 to 39, focusing on verse 34. So uh, John 10 has cut to the chase for time. John 10, 34. Uh, in fact, I'll just start maybe with 31. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill Jesus. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I've done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? And then the people said, we're stoning you not for any good work. But for blasphemy, you are mere man claimed to be God. Obviously, it was religious people, obviously the Pharisees. He said, you say, and you God, dude. And then Jesus replied, verse 34, it is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain uh, leaders of the people, I say, you are gods. And you know, the scriptures cannot be altered. So if these people who received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy, Jesus said. When I say I'm the son of God. So the person had the question, focusing on verse 34, what law would say they are gods? Well, Psalm 82, 6. I say you are God. You are all children of the Most High. So Jesus quoted that in referencing the religious people because he called himself God. And he said, well, the scripture says you are gods. Well, the Old Testament reference there um, the, uh, let me see, I've got several, I'll just give one. Reformation Study Bible. In the Old Testament, human judges in Old Testament were called gods because they were viewed as acting in God's place in dispensing justice. The Hebrew word Elohim is used not only to refer to the one true God, but also to denote false gods, angels, and very rarely men exercising divine uh, functions as judges who were declaring law and making decisions for people. So that's the reason that the scripture said that, and that's what Jesus was referring to. So that's what the person asked. What laws would say they're gods? Well, the Old Testament laws said these people were seen as working in a way that God works by declaring law and then making decisions that change people's lives. Here's another question. How do you know what your calling is? How can you be sure that you're, uh, walking in it, and this person said, I've been through growth track more than once. 
So um, I have several gifts and abilities, but feel like I'm not sure what my true calling is. I want to do what God truly called me to do. So, I mean, I think everybody wrestles with, okay, how do I know I'm doing what God wants me to do? And, you know, honestly, for me, when I first came to the Lord, I, um, you know, I was going to be an electronics engineer, so I was in college. I quit that, and then I started going to Bible school because God called me to preach, and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if I was supposed to be a missionary, a pastor, evangelist. I didn't know. I just know I got to do something because God called me to preach. Long story, but so I uh, enrolled in the Bible school, but I didn't know what He wanted me to do. And, and how do you figure this out? I mean, you know, God's got to speak, but He wasn't saying anything except I want you to go that direction. That is, your life is going to be dedicated to me and serve me in ministering to people, and that's your occupation too. I said, really, really, really. I got to feed my family. I'll take care of that. Just go that way. So. I was a uh, second Bible school I went to of sitting in uh, one of the classes and one of the professors uh, made this statement. He mentioned Psalm 37, 4, which says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And he said this, you can look at that scripture two ways. And I was honing in with what he was saying. And so he said, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You put God first and he'll give you things that you like. He said, that's one way to interpret that. But think about it this way, delight yourself also in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Or he'll place in you what his desires for you are. When he said that, a light bulb went inside, off inside me. I said, I got that one. This is in, I heard that in 1981 and it changed my life. I said, oh, so if I follow my inward desires, then, then, then here's the deal. If you follow your inward desires, you'll walk right into the will of God. I'm where I'm in today. I am today because I just kept following my inward desires. I always wanted to help people. I always wanted to minister life to people. I'd carry on conversations with people and always find myself just ministering the word to them. I did it one-on-one. I did it for a long time. One-on-one, one-on-one, a little bit here, a little bit there. And then things just kept working out. Two things. Number one, follow your heart. Secondly, or maybe number one, be faithful in whatever your hand can find to do. I did a blog a couple of days ago, Big Things Have Small Beginnings, and the first criterion that God looks for in looking for somebody to work for Him and do something for Him is faithfulness. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. A faithful man or a woman will abound with blessings. Paul told Timothy, look for faithful people who can also help you do the work of the ministry. Paul said to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he found me faithful putting me into the ministry. You put all that together, God looks for people who are faithful that he can count on to do what he wants them to do. How many hear me? So I learned that as a young boy, if I'll just be faithful to do whatever. So if the, somebody needs to vacuum the carpet at the church, if somebody needs to help cut the grass, if somebody needs to help park cars in the parking lot or usher or greet or teach children or empty the trash cans or swab the toilets, if somebody's, if it needs to be done, I can help. Hey, can I help? And I just learned to say, can I help? And I just kept doing, can I help? Until God saw me being faithful. And then as I was being faithful to help, this other stuff started rising up inside me. And so I'd go teach it. I started going to teach and preach and minister in uh, nursing homes. 
I'd go to Bible studies. I'd go to little churches where the pastor needed to take vacation and not be there on Wednesday. I'd go anywhere. Small groups, uh, youth ministry, children. It didn't make any difference to me. Anywhere somebody, I, I can do it. I didn't say, well, let, let me pray about that. No, if, if something needed to be done, I went and did it. And as you do that, and you find yourself faithful, the desires that God has in you will rise up. How many got that? Anyway, long answer to a short question. We had a question to come in. Um, can you shed some insight on Marty Simpson or Samson, the young Hillsong leader that has just walked away from his call? Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, it, it's sad. Um, you know, anybody that walks away from God, number one, I say you have a shallow relationship with Jesus or you're compromising somewhere. And if you compromise, you will lose. And that's what I, so I don't know him. I can't judge him. I'm just saying if you compromise your lifestyle, if you compromise with, with uh, the world, the flesh, or the devil, you will lose and you'll lose badly. So somewhere he's lost his way and I pray that he finds his way back. So anybody like that, you know, um, I'd like to think I'd never fall away from Jesus. Somebody said it takes 20 years to backslide. Or fall away from God. One of the Old Testament terms for falling away from God is to backslide. Israel backslid. That means they fell away from God. And somebody years ago said it. Sometimes it may take 20 years for a person to fall away from God. That is a little bit at a time. You compromise here. You compromise there. Then you compromise and then you compromise. Before you know it. And you know what? People don't realize if you play with sin, it will bite you. And bite you. And I'm not saying he did that. I don't know. I'm just saying hardness, hardness is as a result of friction. And it creates friction in my conscience when I know what I ought to do and I choose not to do it. Always. And if I harden my conscience, I can, it can get to the point that, it, that I can feel like I can do anything I want to do and God will smile at me. And that's how many know that's a problem. And I think y'all have heard me, I've shared some of these things in the past, recent past, but I've had people sit in front of me. I, I'll never forget a guy sat in front of me and, and, and basically told me he had another woman besides his wife and he, think, he thought God thought it was okay. And he attended our church. Yeah, I thought. Where'd you get, you got, you got scripture for that? I said, well, no. He said, well, no. I'm just telling God didn't mind me having another woman. I said, well, I would tend to differ with you on that one. I think, I think there's some scripture about that. So, but, but you know what I found out? He hardened his heart. And this guy fell away from God because he allowed compromise. So, you know, our, our enemies are compromise and complacency. So we want to, so I don't know what happened to this guy. I hope he comes back to the Lord. In fact, my prayer is whatever happens. Sometimes, you know, we can get, I, I've met people and I, uh, they have gotten disappointed. You ever gotten disappointed with God? I get disappointed in my early years in the Lord. And, and, and part of me just want to say, I'll just hang all this up. Just leave it all alone. Ain't worth it anymore. Because I got aggravated. And then sometimes if you put your eyes on people, they can disappoint you. And then sometimes we allow the circumstances in. And, and you know, then we're disappointed in the Lord. And then other times, I mean, you know, we get our eyes on the things they shouldn't be on and we get discouraged. So I don't know. I just pray for him that he comes back to the Lord. Anybody else got anything? Hey, Alex. <laughs> Everybody say hi, Alex. I'm sorry I shut the door. <laughs> she lives in Virginia. She's back. Yay. It's good to see you. 
Anybody got anything we got to go? Oh, there you go. What is your take on grace? And do you think that uh, people and churches take advantage of that, of grace? Years ago, there um, it became popularized, oh, maybe a dozen years ago, some books, uh, books printed. I don't want to, I could give you specific names, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. But um, anyway, um, there were some books written on grace that basically said, and, and it's uh, and it's really just kind of like uh, warmed over predestination, Calvinism. And here's the idea. The grace of God covers everything you do. So when you come to Jesus, God forgives and cleanses your sin. All the sins you've committed before you came to Jesus. And every sin you will ever commit in your past has already been forgiven by God. Therefore, regardless of what you do, you're going to heaven. God doesn't see your sin because all of your sin was judged on Christ. Now, to me, what he said, it's right and wrong. It's false and true. It's an amalgamation of both, and it's got enough admixture of wrong to make it extremely dangerous. So here it is years later, and people have interpreted the grace of God, meaning well, God loves me no matter what I do. So if I made Jesus Lord, regardless of what sin I commit, whether or not I quit that sin or if I'm continuing in that sin, God loves me, so I'm going to heaven. Now, the, I think Michael Brown, he taught here October of 2013. I've read many of his books. He came out with a book called Hyper Grace. And he said, and that's, that's grace that is exploited or taken advantage of. The grace of God literally it, yes, it's unmerited favor, but how many know the grace of God is an empowerment to live? How many hear me? It's an empowerment to live right. Does the grace of God cleanse sin? Yes, it does. Does the grace of God cover sin that we choose to enter into and not repent of and keep on living in? No, it doesn't. You have to repent first. Come Sunday, it's my message Sunday. So the grace of God, yes, it's a powerful thing. How many thank God for his grace in your life? But we've taken it to the nth degree in our day. And I've had people leave our church years ago, not nobody recently, when all this came out and I began to bring correction to it. And I'll probably mention some of it again Sunday. But there's some, I think it's a dangerous false doctrine to say you can live any way you want to live. And as long as you make Jesus Lord, you're going to heaven. Period. I think that's a very, a very, very dangerous doctrine. You go through the New Testament. I mean, uh, Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead because they lied to the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he was a man having sex with his stepmother. It was ridiculous. And, uh, and Paul called him on the carpet and said, I'm turning you over to the devil for the destruction of your flesh. And then Jesus, five out of the seven churches in in uh, Asia Minor, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus got all over them because of their wrongdoing and their sins. So if it's true that, that God doesn't even think about the sins of believers, then Jesus didn't follow that himself in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. So the grace of God covers, the grace of God cleanses sin and empowers us, but it also empowers us to live right. And it's not an excuse for living any way you want to live and getting away with it and then just wonderfully going to heaven one day. How many get it? I can explain. It'll take another hour. Go ahead. Anybody got anything else? Because we got to. Yep. There we are. 
I didn't hear you. Is faith immediate or is it a process? I think faith is both. She asked, is faith immediate or is it a process? Now, faith is, so, so, so faith, you know, let's define what we're talking about. You know, how many know faith can grow? You know, just like a plant grows. Well, faith grows. Your faith develops. You can believe God for more and more as you grow and, and become more firm in your relationship with Him. But in one way, faith is immediate. In fact, Hebrews 11 one says, Now faith is the evidence, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is, if it's not now, it's not faith. So if I believe in God for something, so let me cut to the chase and get practical. If I'm asking God to, uh, to provide something or to heal my body or answer some specific prayer, if I'm standing in faith, that means right now I am believing that God answered my prayer when it looks like it's not answered. Jesus said, whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive. And you'll have, how many get that? So in that sense, faith is always present tense. But there's another way to look at your faith is that your faith is always growing and always developing. That is, you can believe for, for different things. I can, you know, I have to believe God for all the needs here to be met financially. Uh, I have to believe God for all kinds of things. Uh, 30 years ago, it would have overwhelmed me to be where I am now and having to believe what I believe right now. But I've grown in the Lord in the last 30 years. Does that make sense? So there's one sense, yes, faith is now. The other sense, faith is an ongoing process. Yeah. Yeah, he needs a microphone. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Save those words till we can hear them. Part of that is that faith is a gift of God. Yeah. We can't make it and we can't get it and we can't learn it and we can't teach it. It's a gift. But what he's talking faith about can grow, is yeah. the relationship with our Father and our God grows in the understanding. Just like in our personal relationship with husband, wife, and friends, the more you know that person, the more you trust them, the more you're able to understand them. And that's what it actually grows in the process of the faith relationship. The yeah. more we know about our Father and God in every detail, the more readily we'd say, that's what I believe. Mm. So Paul said that the Thessalonians, your faith grows exceedingly. So you can have exceedingly growing faith. King James translation, I think, says. So you got weak faith, strong faith, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all in between. So we're all in process in different levels.